0: sometimes they say the most unreasonable things they talk about stuff that absolutely has absolutely nothing to do with anything that makes any sense or difference whatsoever it happens in times like this hey uh is it all right with you guys if i use the car to go hang out with my friends and they start talking about my homework how does my homework actually have anything to do at all with with my use of a vehicle for which I'm licensed, insured, and permitted to hang out with people that you already know? How does my interactions with my younger siblings have anything to do with whether or not I get to go and hang out with my friends on a weekend? Can we just stick to the topic? Can we just answer the question? Like, yes, my homework is done, and, and yes, I fed the younger versions that you guys pumped out that are whiny and always hungry and smelly, and. And yes, everything is, I've done all the things. Well, you know, I'm glad that you uh, asked to use the car before going out this weekend because that brings up something that I wanted to uh, talk with you about, and that is the last time you hung out with so and so, things took place that we're not real happy about. That was one time. And it wasn't me. Parents, they can be absolutely unreasonable at times. And so sometimes we think as teenagers that something like this really needs to be communicated to your mom and your dad, to our moms and our dads. Something like this really, really clicks for us. If I am going to drive, I have to sit in the driver's seat. And we think that if we could just have someone tell that to our moms and our dads, if If I, as a teenager, am going to drive, I have to sit in the driver's seat. And mom, dad, it's a metaphor. If I'm going to be in control of my life and be the kind of person that you want me to be and take my place in society as a good, upstanding person, then I have to have the latitude to make some decisions on my own. I have to have the latitude to spend some money in a way that I think is the right way to I need to spend my time the way I feel my time should be spent. With the people doing the things the way I want to. Because mom and dad, here's the reality. It's going to happen anyways. So the sooner you let me drive my time, my life, my cars, my friends, my relationships, my life's choices. The sooner I get to be this functioning person that it's your desire, you want me. How am I doing teenagers? Am I in the ballpark? Here's what your parents are going to say. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, here's what they're going to say. When you put gas in the car and know what it means to have a job, when you insure the vehicle and understand what happens to that payment with the slightest infraction for the rest of your life, when you purchase a vehicle, then we can talk about driving it. And what your parents are going to say is, when you make decisions worth making, then we'll talk about giving you more latitude to make other decisions. That's actually what your parents are going to say. And around, and around, and around we go. It's, it, we've all lived this. And some of us are living through it right now. I have some really good news going to receive a lot of encouragement this morning from Daniel chapter 2, that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning, as we take a look in the text and study the life of this fine young man, one of very few people in the Bible to whom no sin is attributed, Now we know that Jesus is the only one who never sinned, but Daniel is one of very few people who the Bible doesn't have anything negative or sinful to say about him at all, and we saw last week we learned some powerful stuff from his life, and this week is going to be the same. We're going to wrestle with the question, what do we do with unreasonable parents? And what do we do with children who feel that we are unreasonable? So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Daniel chapter 2. Not all of the verses are going to be on the screen because we're going to be covering like two-thirds of the chapter. So just certain key verses are going to be on the screen. So if you do have your Bible or your device, it would be great to follow along in the text that. Beginning in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, we know that from last week that Daniel, along with three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, were uh, captured uh, by the Babylonians, brought about 1,500 miles east, and transplanted into modern-day Iran and Iraq from Jerusalem where they were lower nobilities. And uh, they were trained in a foreign culture and a foreign language and given new names. So, we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him, and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the diviner priests, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream and am anxious to understand it. The Chaldeans spoke to the king. Uh, You might have in parentheses the Aramaic in the text begins here. Meaning that the original text was written in Hebrew up until this point. But now in the words of the king they are recorded in the language in which he spoke. Which is Aramaic. Your translators want you to know that. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream. And we will give the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans. My word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation... You will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a garbage dump. But if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you'll receive gifts, a reward, and great honor from me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. A perfectly unreasonable request. They answered a second time, may the king tell the dream to his servants and we will give the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain you are trying to gain some time because you see that my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream, there is one decree for you. You have conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream and I will know you can give me its interpretation." Chaldeans answered the king, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any diviner, priest, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. Because of this, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men issued, that the wise men were to be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. <laughs> so last week we talked about how Daniel had no control over just about every area of his life, from the clothes that he wore, to the name that he was called, to the language that he had to speak, to the knowledge that he had to learn, to the knowledge that he had to retain as one of these newly trained wise men, where he lived, except for what he actually put that daniel took control of this one area of his life what he put in his mouth and made a declaration of faith that the lord then blessed now we see in daniel chapter 2 that he and his friends are confronted with a perfectly unreasonable request it's their job to give wisdom to difficult situations but it helps if you know what the situation is before you give some wisdom and so obviously the wise men are in a real pickle and what we see from the text is that here we have yet again a problem that the young men, Daniel and his friends, had absolutely no control over. And and my opening illustration was designed to get us thinking along these lines because as teenagers, we often feel that we live in a household where unreasonable requests or demands are being made of us and we actually have no control over them whatsoever. Well, you don't have to eat your dinner tonight. I'll just put it in the fridge and keep it for you for breakfast tomorrow. That'll be great have no control over breakfast. You will be eating chicken and mashed potatoes and peas for breakfast. That's how your life actually works. You have no control, and your parent is making an unreasonable request that you would eat your dinner, for a silly example. And obviously, for those of us who uh, are not under the authority of our moms and dads anymore so much in the household, um, we have the same feeling sometimes at work. <laughs> sometimes we have the same feeling in our marriage. I actually can't don't know what's going on right now. I would be happy to keep you happy, but I don't know what you what you need. Or, oh my gosh, that is actually unreasonable. No, there is no way I'm going to load the dishwasher tonight. I can't believe you would even expect me to do that. Um, so in, it doesn't matter what phase of life we're in. There are times that we, we're always under authority, and there are times that we feel that those who are in authority over us are making unreasonable requests of us. In this particular context, in the text today, was the king making an unreasonable request? Absolutely. his, His wise men were not kidding when they said, nobody's ever asked this of any wise guy. We've been designed to work on problems that we know. How are we supposed to understand problems that we've never heard of before we don't actually know what's going on inside your mind? It was a perfectly unreasonable request. Was the king wrong? there is probably a reason why this time he will not tell the dream. Because he knows these guys are just going to get together and come up with some sort of a story that's going to secure their position but not discern the truth. Did you catch that? These guys are probably going to get together and do their best thinking not to help the king but to secure their position. Not to discern the actual answer to the dream. And you have to understand that right around this time, 500 B.C. or so, Dreams and visions had an importance that we simply don't attribute to them anymore. They were attributed as actual messages from the Lord. Very few written biblical texts. Very few written anything. And and so when someone heard from the Lord, especially someone who was in charge, they wanted to know they treated it as divine wisdom. And the king had valid reason to believe that his wise men were going to put their best thinking to the task to secure their position not to actually discern the word that the king believed was coming from God. So was the king being perfectly unreasonable? Yeah. Was the king wrong? No. And so kind of the first thought I want to introduce to middle school and high school students this morning is this situation that it's perfectly rational for you to feel that your mom or your dad or for those who are in authority over us from time to time make unreasonable requests but that doesn't mean that the It doesn't mean that there isn't a valid point to their objection to whatever your preferred future is. It doesn't mean that your friends, that whatever the objection is that your parents raise, they're probably not wrong. And, And I know it doesn't feel like this all the time, but many of you have very sweet relationships with your parents and you understand this, that you are the epitome of your parents' love. That they did not crush you because they wanted to torment a creature for 18 years. That was not their desire. They created you out of a surplus of love for each other that could only be expressed in creating more of that love. They wanted to exponentialize what they felt for each other. And they did, and it's you. And I know that it doesn't always feel that way, but when your parents strike you as unreasonable, there's a real good chance that they're not wrong. That whatever seemingly unrelated topic they're bringing up when you're asking permission to do the thing, actually is an important consideration that you should see what is the truth thereof. So Daniel and his friends are in a sticky situation. The king is being perfectly unreasonable, but he's not wrong, not unlike us with our parents or us with our bosses or supervisors at work. So what do we do? The text continues. Here's what Daniel did. Daniel chapter 2, beginning, picking up in verse 14. Then Daniel responded With moaning and groaning. No. Uh, Oh you don't have this verse. So I can't play with it. So Daniel responded. With whining and crying. no. So Daniel responded with manipulation. And tears. No again. So Daniel responded with a temper tantrum. To end all temper tantrum. And slamming the door to his room. No. Okay now I'm going to actually read. I'm going to actually read what the Bible says here. Then Daniel responded with tact and discretion. Where did that come from? To Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. I know you're here to kill me, but just a moment of your time. Tact and discretion? I know you're drawing your sword. looks very sharp. Good job on a sword of maintenance. Something to consider. Wow, Okay impressive guy here. He asked Ariok, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Then Ariok explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could run away. No, nope, doesn't say that. Uh, so that Daniel could fill in the blank of goofy things. Here's what Daniel actually did so that Daniel could give the king his interpretation so that Daniel could solve the problem. King, I need a little time so that I can give you the answer to your problem. Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter urging them to ask the God of heaven for mercy this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be killed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of heaven and he declared. He wrote a psalm. And if you're following along in your text, you might see that it's uh, centered differently from the rest of the narrative as to help you know that this is probably a psalm. answer his prayer. May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power and now you have let me know you have let us know the king's mystery. And so we see that Daniel asked for some time. He didn't throw a fit. He went and found his friends and asked that they would pray, and then the Lord answered his prayer. A problem that these young men had no control over. The king was being perfectly unreasonable, but he was not wrong. Daniel's response was to go find his friends, the kind of friends that would actually. take a survey of the book of Proverbs and other biblical texts and lump people into three general categories. I'm talking middle school and high school students right now. You're going to find that there's three categories of people according to the biblical text. This is good to know for the rest of your life because it will help determine your interactions with your friends. And, and where I'm going is, do we have the kind of friends that would pray for us? And here's how you know you do first category of people that you have as friends in middle school or high school are known as the righteous, according to the book of Proverbs. These are kind of people like Daniel's friends that when you go and have a concern, Daniel's concern was valid, guys, we're going to actually die here. They didn't lose their minds. They didn't start attacking the king or his reputation. They didn't start packing their bags and trying to run to the border. They agreed with Daniel that they would pray. They're known as the righteous first of three major categories of people that you can find in the book of proverbs people who are righteous you'll know the righteous because they are the kind of people they are the kind of friends that will pray with and for you they're the kind of people that you turn to when the chips are down and they turn things around by partnering with you in prayer now some of you might be thinking (laughs) Let's say something that sounds crazy right now. It's your mom and your dad. Right? You may, you may not feel that you have anyone in your school or in your peer group that you could be this vulnerable to. Something that I'm going through right now, my parents are being unreasonable, whatever. I need, I need some help. I need to turn things around. You may not have anyone that pops into your mind that would be considered a righteous pray with them, because that's with them that the friction is actually happening. You have another one, too. His name is Justin. You saw him in action this morning. The Bible calls him a righteous friend. And hopefully you do have some friends that are righteous friends. I encourage you when you go back to school in the fall to start thinking about who are my friends, my peers that are righteous friends. Not the ones who will cut and run, not the ones who will make fun of me, not the ones who will attack my parents and say, even me, to about them than what I'm already feeling. I don't need my thoughts voiced out loud right now. That's not helpful. But the kind of friend that would actually make a positive change by partnering with you in prayer. There's a second kind of friend found in the scripture. They're called fools. (laughs) They're called fools. A fool in the scripture is someone who is morally degenerate. A fool in the scripture is someone who knows what God thinks and doesn't care. A fool is someone who puts their own above those that are found in the scripture or the authorities that are found in their life. They're known as fools. In these kinds of situations, a fool is going to opt out. So if you have a friend who's a fool, uh, they're not going to be there for you in your time of crisis. And even though you're young, maybe you've had that happen to you. Where you really need to talk to someone about a situation at school or a situation at home, and they basically said, I have enough worries of my own with that let me know how it goes scripture would say that that person is a fool and that they're not they're not to be they're not to be trusted now can that person become a righteous person absolutely the moment they start putting god's priorities above their own the moment they start putting someone else's priorities above their own then that person starts to become more of a righteous friend and and now you have something there that's very special that you want to hang on to in the final category of friends and these are the people that keep your parents awake at night Maybe you know some people like this. Maybe you don't. Your parents definitely do. And these are people that the scripture refers to as evil. They actually want to hurt you. They actually don't care. And they're not afraid of inflicting pain or embarrassment or humiliation. They will take your secret and proclaim it on the social media platform of their choice. If they think it's funny. They're actually evil. And these are people that we just need to not have in our lives. are not really even friends. They, they pose as a friend, but then they take what's personal and private and holy and important to you, and they treat it like garbage. They treat it like it's common, and they violate your trust, and they should be avoided at all costs. The scripture says uh, in another place that it's like walking with a staff that you're leaning on, and the staff snaps, and the pointy end pokes you in the hand. That's the kind of person I'm talking you're, when your parents have an objection to a proposed course of action that you want to do with a peer group, they're afraid of these people. They're afraid that these people might be present because they know they have no control over them and neither, neither do. you. And so when we take a look at the scripture, we see that Daniel turned to his righteous friends and they prayed and the Lord answered and turned things around for them. But there are two other people groups that can be our friends in the scripture that as a middle school or a high school moms and dads, we, we know in our own workplaces, in our own situations, we've already begun to filter through our closest associates associates, and, and fill in these categories and we're beginning to realize, oh my gosh, and so these categories uh, can be kind of helpful as we process through, what do I actually need to do in these situations that strike me as unreasonable? The biblical answer according to Daniel's text and Daniel's life is find a righteous friend. Find a friend 24 chapter 2. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, he has the dream now, whom the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He came and said to him, Don't kill the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will give him the interpretation. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man among the Judean exiles who can let the king know the interpretation. The king said and reply to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king, No wise man, medium, diviner priest, or astrologer is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dream and the visions that came your mind as you lay in bed were these. Your majesty, while you were in your bed, thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind big idea in this text. Daniel focused on the king's problem, not the king's persecution. I'm going to say that again, and you clever buddies already know how I'm going to apply this to middle school and high school students, right? Daniel focused on the king's conversation that took place a really long time ago. Actual answer. How are the chickens? What are you talking about right now? True love awaits and you're talking about nasty, foul, stupid, ugly, smelly birds that I'm responsible for. Because if I'm responsible for stupid chickens, be responsible for the heart of a woman. Or at least my dad has some data that I'll be careful in this relationship. If I'm careful about something that means nothing to me out of obedience to my dad, doesn't it give him some confidence that I'll be careful with something much more precious? For me at that time was to focus on my dad's problem not what felt like my dad persecuting me by being responsible for stupid chickens which i still hate to this day (laughs) it was so easy to focus on the persecution because the chickens actually are dumb they do smell they don't care about you one bit in even half a chance, especially the rooster. It was so easy to focus on the persecution and to just get mad every time I asked for permission. It was so hard to focus on my dad's point. It was so hard to focus on my dad's problem, which is can you be trusted? I was blind to it. I mean, I, I just, I just couldn't put it together. But Daniel puts it together in the text. He focuses not on, yes, he should pray for his life. Obviously, that's motivated him to pray and to preserve his life and the life of his friends and all the other wise guys in in, uh, Babylonia at the time. But he actually comes to the king with an answer to his problem. He's focused on the king's problem. His prayers are focused on the king's problem. And in turn, his life is preserved. Daniel focused on the apply some wisdom, focus on your parents' problem, not on their persecution. What are they actually talking about? Because it's hard as a parent to be able to verbalize, Josh, I don't know if I trust you in a dating relationship with a young lady. She's the actual pastor's daughter. You're not hurting. (laughs) And I don't know if I can trust you. That's the kind of stuff that's hard to say. As a dad, you don't want to crush your son's spirit, you don't want to crush your daughter's so, say, so you say things like this, probably the chickens. Because in your mind, it's a clear link to, if you're responsible with the little thing, you can be trusted with the big thing. But as a, as a teenager, it's not clear to us. And so apply some wisdom, apply some patience, apply some understanding. It appears to us that it's unreasonable, but they're probably not wrong. What is your parent's problem? Is it a problem of trust? Did the last time you used the vehicle and had some freedom to use your time in a certain way, did you violate that trust? that you're going to do. That's probably what your parents' problem is or something along the lines. So as a middle school and high school student, apply some wisdom Don't focus on the persecution. It's easy to do that. That's just going to add to the anger in the conversation. Focus on what your parents' problem is or what you think their problem might be. Because what could have crushed Daniel and his friends ended up exalting them. What would you do for the child who was actually able to have that kind of conversation and say, Mom, Dad, I'm so frustrated right now because you know I want to do the thing. But but it sounds like you're reticent to let me do the thing. Can you tell me what your concern is so we can kind of work with it? What would you do for that child? Like, take my money, take my car, I trust you. Like, that's how, that's how that would actually happen. But what could have crushed Daniel and his friends actually ended up exalting them. You will reward your child if they are able to, not focus on what they think is persecution, but actually on the problem ahead of you as a family. Middle school and high school students, when the roof leaks, the foundation crumbles. When the roof leaks, the windowsills, which are made out of wood, absorb the moisture that is tracing down from the roof structure of your house. The sills get permeated with moisture. They become better conduits of moisture. The water continues on its way down to the actual sill plate where the water pulls up along the bottom 2x4 or 2x6 that is actually holding up your house. If your roof leaks your foundation is going to crumble because the water that is coming in at the top, the problem that your parents are facing from their perspective, it's going to impact every single part of your household. And so if your parents aren't happy your life is going to have some consequences. If the roof leaks, the foundation is going to crumble. The well-being of those in authority over us is a blessing. This is what motivates us to take action and to have these difficult conversations. Because biblically, Daniel understood that the well-being of the king was going to preserve the life of many. And, and as it is as a middle school and a high school student or an employee, that the well-being of those is a blessing. I'm going to wrap up our time together this morning with one final action item. And so Nathaniel and Baz and Caitlin and Lucas and Connor and Christian, if you could come on up and help us wrap up our time together today, here's the action item that's going to begin to resolve this roundabout pattern of conversations we can have in our family. And it just inspires anger in us. Here's what Daniel did. He solved a problem for the king in prayer. Right? He went and found righteous friends who would pray with him. And together, they solved a problem for the king. Because they took a prayerful approach, the problem was solved. The roof stopped leaking. The foundation was restored. Right? Because the blessing of those who is in authority over us is a blessing to everybody blessing, the well-being of those who are our bosses is a blessing to everyone who works at the business. And so the action point this morning from the text when our authority structures are striking us as unreasonable solve of Able to remember, you know, there's probably something that they're upset about. Maybe I know what it is. Maybe I don't. But I'm going to begin to solve a problem for my parents in prayer. I'm just going to start praying. And maybe, maybe you know specifically what needs to be prayed for because you actually live in the house and you know what the tensions are. Maybe you don't. But what would your life look like as a middle school and a high school? Student someone like Justin. I, my parents are reasonable. Justin is a righteous friend. He's not going to throw fuel in that fire. He's going to partner with you in prayer. What are workplaces in prayer. Hey, boss man, hey, boss lady, I need a little time. I know something's bothering you, but if you share it with me, I'm going to pray about it. We're going to see what the Lord would do. What would it look like in our houses if we solved the problem for our husband or our wife in prayer? And with our husband and our wife, we probably know what the problem is and have a good idea. What would it look like if we took action like Daniel did? When faced with a perfectly unreasonable problem, understanding that the person is probably not wrong, what would it look like if you solve a problem for somebody? In prayer. This morning, by way of conclusion, the most important problem we can solve is the problem that God has. <laughs> How does God have a problem? Here's God's problem that he would like to see solved by prayer this morning. He wants everyone to know his son the way he knows his son. He wants everyone to live a life in accordance with faith in Jesus Christ, repentant of our sins so that he can pour blessings into our lives. And it frustrates our Heavenly Father to no end when we're either living in sin or we don't know Jesus the way he knows Jesus. And so, by way of concluding this morning, maybe we need to solve a problem for our Heavenly Father in prayer. It is a prayer like this. God, you've morning in humility to the text that I see in Daniel's life, I understand you might actually have a problem, you might actually have a point and I don't want to be a source of grief to you anymore, I want your love to flow freely into my life and I know that will happen when I repent of my sin and I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, you will begin to show me yourself the way you see me, and I won't be a problem child for you anymore that's a prayer that will solve a problem that God has and so I'm going to pray and then we'll have an opportunity to work for one more time together this morning. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for Daniel's life. This is a guy whose life continues to teach us 1,500 years later. Lord, I pray that we would become ever increasingly a people of prayer. That when we are feeling persecuted, when we are feeling misunderstood, when we are that makes no sense at all that's unreasonable whether it's you or a boss or a spouse or a parent father would you bring those into our lives that will partner with us for righteous and through prayer for